1: Hello, and welcome to New Books in Performing Arts, a podcast from the New Books Network. I'm Andy Boyd. Today I'm talking with Edwin Wilson about his memoir, Magic Time, Notes on Theater and Other Entertainments. Edwin, thanks so much for being on the program.
0: Uh, I'm delighted to be on the program.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. So how did you first become interested in theater?
0: Well, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. But my parents loved to go periodically to. They, my father was in business, and my mother was a housewife. But they were both. Uh, they'd both been to Vanderbilt University. My father had gotten both a B.A. and a law degree, and we lived in Nashville. And uh, they would go by train uh, in the thirties and uh, in the throughout the thirties, really, to New York and to see things like Hildegard and so forth at the Empire Room and all this, and a lot of theater. So uh, somewhere toward the end of the third 1930s, they started taking me occasionally, and I got to see all these plays, uh, Death of a Salesman, Streetcar Named Desire, uh, and uh, Oklahoma, I, but I saw everything that was on, really, uh, with my parents, and then uh, I, uh, I went away. I was sent, went away to boarding school to a place in Alexandria, Virginia, called Episcopal High School, and we were near Washington, D.C. So I got uh, all of us. Had, we had Mondays off, not Saturdays off. We had Mondays off, and we would go into Washington and see see the theater. So I started seeing theater then, uh, and was, was, of course, uh, intoxicated by it. <laughs>
1: So when you were seeing like Streetcar uh, and those and Death of a Salesman, did you realize at the time that you were witnessing sort of dramas of world historical significance or was it just uh, this is I, I enjoyed this play? Like, did you understand the, the sort of uh, historical meaning of what you were witnessing?
0: Well, I think it's a, a sort of a little bit of both. Uh, I obviously was young, uh, but I read all the reviews and I realized that. The plays I was seeing were sort of uh, not, if not groundbreaking, at least in, in, in terrifically important. And new play and playwrights, uh, the, the people who wrote things like *Death of a Salesman* and *Streetcar*, Tennessee Williams, and so forth. I realized from the reading reviews and talking to people that these were very important plays. But then, of course, they had they don't get real impact seeing them. I mean, goodness knows seeing the opening. The original cast of plays like that, it was something unbelievable. I mean, you couldn't help but be affected by it, and I was. So uh,
1: would you say at this young age you were more affected by straight plays like uh, Death of a Salesman than by musicals?
0: No, I I liked everything. I I really just liked theater. I mean, I I liked both. Uh, I really did enjoy both and uh, was impressed by both and was cap- captivated by both.
1: Did you have a sense at that young age of how you wanted to fit into the world of theater, like what your place in that world was?
0: No, not the least, not the slightest. It was all sort of on, apparent. you know, the feeling was it was on the side. And uh, the uh, when I went to that prep school, uh, another man who came to me wanted to write a, a short play to be presented, which we did, and presented it, and it was a, uh, a very light piece but anyway uh, uh it, t- it turned out to be the first play that was written by students and presented in the 102 year history of the school <laughs> so, and, and we did
1: it two did that two years in a row and do, uh, were you directing that play
0: we were do, we were doing he was he was the composer he was really i didn't couldn't compose yeah so we wrote the lyrics together and the book together and we more or less directed it together i mean we just i don't even remember that we uh, it was a joint venture, really, and I, I couldn't, well, again, it's a good question, but I couldn't begin to break down who was so far, was, would, would be considered the director. Everybody, I think, uh, thought we were just a joint venture and, uh, when we did it. But that was, uh, and then, then when I went to, uh, I, I started, I finished this school in the, well, the spring of 45, and the war was just over. And I started to go to Vanderbilt in the summer semester. And uh, I'd been at Vanderbilt for one year. And they started a, an 18-month enlistment in the Army rather than two years. In other words, six months shorter. So I just joined right then and ended up going by first place after basic training. I went to the Pacific and went to Iwo Jima.
1: Wow. So that was after the war, though, right?
0: And oh, yes. It was two. This would have been a year and a half after the war.
1: Uh my my grandfather was supposed to ship out to Guadalcanal and then the army found out that he had a PhD in agronomy like the day before he was supposed to go.
0: <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well I was I went to, to Guam and uh was there for a while and uh then went to then went to Guam and then got out.
1: There's been some interest lately in the USO musicals of World War II that uh, featured some of the people who would go on to be the greats of Broadway when they were uh, soldiers writing musicals. Did you see
0: any of those? Well, I saw This is the Army. Which how, was the- how was that? Oh, God, it was great. It was a regular, it was a huge show. I mean, you know, it was a regular show and Irving Burnham was in it. And he sang, I- oh, how I hate to get up in the morning in a very wavery voice. But uh, no, I got to see that. It came to war when it was came to Washington, and I went in from the school, Some probably the third year of the war, the last year of the war.
1: Wow. We don't make propaganda like we used to, do we?
0: No, really <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, this was some. you know, everybody was, was helping. Uh, it was just, uh, and of course, this, this was, we didn't fully realize it then, but this was people like Irving Berlin and Rogers and Hammerstein and all this, this, these these were, you know, they've never been uh, eclipsed really by anybody.
1: So do you still think of that time, the forties and fifties, as kind of the golden age for American theater?
0: Well, I do looking back on it at the Mm -hmm. time, I just thought it was what was on. Right. uh, (laughs) uh, I I didn't realize that I was really, uh, witness to the goal, what was the beginning of the really the golden age of American theater, which I think went from the 20s in, into the late like 60s and 70s. Uh-huh. Um, it was, I mean, you know, the the, the output on musicals and uh, and and straight plays was just extraordinary. And then because Edward Albee came along and uh, different people came along and, uh, in in uh, both both the musical field and the drama field. Mm-hmm.
1: And I, you attended Yale School of Drama. Is that correct?
0: Well, that is. But I went back when I finished, finished I took, after I finished uh, Vanderbilt, I took a year. There was a, a special program at the University of Edinburgh, and I had GI Bill then, having been in the Army. <clears throat> so I went to the University of Edinburgh for a year, and then went back to Nashville and went into a, a business run by a friend of my father's, a, co- a coffee business called Colonial Coffee Company. And I did that for two years. And all the time I sort of agonized inwardly and then outwardly uh, about making the theater my career, which was a big choice because my parents were both very much wanting me to go into the business world Mm -hmm. where my father had been successful. But I finally broke away and I decided I sent a, I wrote my first play or when I played what you had to do to get admission and got admission to the Yale Drama School. And I ended up spending four years there, three years getting a, a, a b, a b, b, drama, the first degree, the BFE Bachelor of Fine Arts. But then I got a, a Doctor of Fine Arts. I got to, I got the first Doctor of Fine Arts that uh, Yale offered. They, they offered it while I was in school. And I said, yes, I want to go for that. So and from then on, uh, I was, you know, and from then on, it was the theater teaching it or being very involved in it.
1: And the doctorate was more of a kind of theater history, criticism, that no, kind of thing? No, no,
0: no, 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 okay. no, 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 no. The doctorate was in the drama school where we took, class. I even took a one course in acting just to take it. I didn't had no thoughts of being an actor. No, no, it was all, it was, it was all about the theater, uh, about design, about uh, uh, everything. everything. Really. So the drama school, which is is not, now we took some Shakespeare classes in yeah, at Yale and then I had one year Robert Penn Warren, the the famous novelist uh, and writer. He uh, he taught a, a a seminar that I attended for a year uh, in his quarters at one of the Yale colleges, and uh, so I, I had had that. He he was teaching us a, a group of about oh eight of us really for a whole year, and uh, so I, I had it was this. But this was all about the craft and about the. the but about going and then i of course things were being tried out then um in new haven all the time and i saw a raft of plays along with my colleagues i saw the I was at the very first night of my fair lady
1: before uh, they were on broadway
0: yes oh absolutely what first, do you think
1: uh, of my fair lady
0: <laughs> like the audience i loved it yeah i mean it, it was yeah julie andrews was in it and, and but uh it, it was it was magical, really. I mean, it because it was, you know, it, it was mar- marvelous. I mean, it still is. People uh, worry about the ending in terms of mm-hmm. Eliza staying with. Uh, but but so it, it, it was, you know, in, in, in that day, it was it was just it was a huge interest because then it went to Broadway and stayed five or six years.
1: Um, I've heard that there have been stagings of that ending where, you know, he says, would you give me my slippers or something like that? And there's been some staging where she chucks the slippers at him and then storms out.
0: <laughs> yes, well, that, There are versions of the, the Lincoln Center theater version. Yeah. They did I mean, a similar about thing. A few years ago, uh, the, she left uh, mm-hmm. rather than staying. The, the actress, I mean, the, the character left rather than staying on stage. Now the 50s.
1: The Fifties was obviously a time of a lot of the great musicals and plays, you know, My Fair Lady, but also Music Man, West Side Story. Absolutely. But it, was, it was also a time when experimental drama was starting to get kind of noticed on a bigger scale, you know, Samuel Beckett uh, and, and stuff like that. Did you enjoy that work as well, or did you... Oh, absolutely, were you, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And this, of course, of course, was one of the bonuses of being at the drama school. Because, <laughs> see, I went back, I was there for three years as an, uh, getting the BFA and then one year getting finishing up the doctorate. And then I left and went to, uh, to, I taught for two years at Hofstra College on Long Island. Then I went, came to New York and uh, I've been here ever since. Um, and, uh, but I, I did, uh, I, I, I was, was really, I knew from then on, of course, I was just going to be involved in theater. But it was both teaching and it was uh, writing about the theater and I did directing. I directed at the Barter Theater one whole season and I directed at a theater, a theater by the sea in Rhode Island. Uh, as a director, I did some producing. Uh, I fell into a situation where I co-produced a, a Broadway show directed by George Abbott with his daughter. I, this was a freak <laughs> event and the, uh, the play was not a success for various reasons, which is, are in the book. But anyway, uh, Noah, and then from then on it was theater, and then it it, it eventually became two things really. It, I started, I was teaching and continued teaching for the next fifty years, and then I started writing, uh, which was a fluke. Uh, I I almost named this book "The Accidental Writer," uh, because both <laughs> both my my writing, I wrote started writing textbooks. What I did was after. Uh, the the people, students we had in uh, Hunter College where I was teaching the introduction to theater class, uh, they were using a textbook. There were several, two two or three standard textbooks and I was not happy with any of them. So I started uh, writing, um, handing out mimeograph sheets that I had written. And after a year of that, I thought, well, maybe these would make a textbook. So I found out that the only major textbook company, not with an intro to theater book, was uh, McGraw-Hill. And I went to see them, and we, over time, worked out a, 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 a uh, worked out a, a contract. And I'm just about to start work on the 15th edition of that book. It's still in print, still being widely used, and so forth. And then I added two more books to that that are textbooks. One's a history, and one is an, another kind of an introduction, sort of. Sort of more, fond- more uh, elementary tech-rich introductions there. But uh, one's in, in its 10th edition, one's in its 7th, and one is about to be in its 15th edition.
1: And these really are some of the most widely used textbooks in the field. I mean, these uh, are, these I, are I pretty much the standard be, works. They,
0: yeah. I'm still writing them. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you...
1: you- What were you dissatisfied about, about these other uh, textbooks and how did you want to kind of change how theater history and introduction Uh, to theater was taught in your textbooks?
0: They were, they were just too, uh, what's the right word? Uh, They were too uh, ethereal and they were too like uh, academic and Mm -hmm. so forth. And I wanted to write about the experience that anybody has. I mean, somebody who knows nothing about theater. And so I started writing about uh, what you do when you find you're going to a play, whether it's a college production or uh, an off-Broadway type production of just what, and how you you get in the right sort of frame of mind for that and what you look for. And what I really stressed was the the book is called The Theater Experience. So it was really about the experience of audience members seeing theater. Mm -hmm. And that's what it was then and what it still has remained. Uh, is, the, is the, th- the experience of going to the theater. What audience members bring to it and obviously what the artists bring to it, but uh, designers, actors, and so on, writers. But uh, the, I was always had an emphasis on the observer, on the uh, audience member, and how they had to participate or that, uh, for, to get maximum uh, good and, and uh, reward out of it of going to the theater is that they had to to realize they were participants and to realize that unlike that, and here, poor, I'm only a block from Lincoln Center where I live and have lived for 50 years. uh, And everything over there is closed. And it's because the ballet and the philharmonic and the opera and the theater all require an audience. Mm -hmm. And we can't have them now with this pandemic on. So uh, uh, and as I say, my focus was from very very beginning and right to, all the way through to, to today was on the audience, talking to the audience uh, po- or the potential audience uh, rather than... I mean, I talk about the, the designers. I talk about the writers. I talk about the actors and directors and so forth. And I explain how they go about exercising their craft. But uh, really always I have my eye on and my focus on
1: Got your happy Price, price line. You also have a theater history textbook called uh, A Living Theater. Yes. And that work uh, touches on, you know, Western theater, touches on Shakespeare, touches on Ibsen, but also touches on non-Western theater, Japanese yes, no theater so. and things like that. Very
0: much so, yes.
1: Was that stuff that you had studied at Yale or was that stuff you had to kind of do your own research on to learn about?
0: Well, the, by the time of the history book, uh, I had a collaborator, collaborator mm-hmm. uh, Al Goldfarb. Uh, I brought him aboard when I wrote my second book because I wanted a lot of history in it, and he was a, much more of a historian than I was, so a lot of it it comes from his his side of things but then i i i taken taken a lot of classes in asian theater and uh, and so forth uh, so I was not you know uh, i was and then I did a lot of research but uh, no, it 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 is a history of really world theater. I mean, we don't call it that, but it is a history of world theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book is
1: because theater is something that has existed in almost every culture. I mean, it's not uh, just the Greeks to form, Shakespeare to in us. One
0: form or another, yes, absolutely. In I mean, in Asia uh, and and wherever, and in, obviously in Europe and Greece and so forth, and, and Rome, and all this. So no, I mean, it's 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 it's, it's universal. Some form of it, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, I just had a scholar of No Theatre on, and it was a fascinating conversation. I, I know next to nothing about that theater, but yes. it was very well, clear it, that there's a whole universe. It's yeah.
0: absolutely fascinating, very mm-hmm. ritualistic and all of it, and very formal. But it's really quite breathtaking, and the costumes and all of and the music backing it up are, are just extraordinary.
1: Uh, You were also a theater critic for uh, a long time, over 20 years, uh, at the Wall Street Journal. That's maybe how some of our listeners will have first encountered your work. What were some of the more uh, memorable shows that you saw during that period? Oh, gosh, I
0: couldn't (laughs) begin. I couldn't begin. (laughs) Give me a list, (laughs) Edward. I saw everything. (laughs) I I saw, you know, I really, well, I saw every opening for Mm -hmm. 23 years. Uh, And so I covered the waterfront, really, in terms of things that were happening. And because there were also a lot of uh, revivals that I covered, and so I I got to cover things not only that that were opening right at you know at that time, I got to cover things that came back as revivals.
1: And you probably saw revivals of things that you'd seen the original productions of. I mean, you'd been seeing theater for twenty years or so
0: by that time. Absolutely.
1: Were there any revivals that really made you say, "Gosh, I I didn't understand that play until I saw this revival, but now I really get it."
0: Not really. No. <laughs> I, I tried to get it the first time. Yeah. Not that I didn't. Not that I didn't pick up little things uh, here and there. Absolutely, because well, it depends on the director and how what he or she emphasized and how they uh, spun it or uh, how they presented it. But uh, no, uh, it was uh, uh, it was it was really uh, uh, it, it was a uh, I, I I did not change that much with these things. Mm-hmm. Seeing a revival, I, I was really judging how the revival compared to the original, if that was the case, uh, or you know, if they if they did something that was improved on the on the thing, made something a little clearer. I mean, I, I would point out the differences between what I'd seen earlier and what I saw in a revival. What did you
1: feel like your role was as a critic?
0: Well, that's a good question. Well, I, I think I guess I felt my role was to introduce the reader. Uh, to this experience and to uh, what to look for, what to be on the, on the lookout for in watching a production uh, and uh, talking about how, if somebody I felt overacted, calling attention to that, or if somebody uh, I think missed the point and uh, uh, explaining that, uh, I think I was just trying to give a roadmap and uh, uh, sort of guide to people going to the theater. Did
1: you see your role as a critic as in some ways an extension of your role as a teacher?
0: Yes, I did. I mean, not I never thought of it that way. But now that you mentioned it, mm-hmm. yes, I, I would guess so. Absolutely. I mean, I was trying to educate <laughs> the people who read the the, the Wall Street Journal.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, Which is quite, a, quite an educated readership, I would imagine, but yes, maybe not in a readership it. that knows a lot about theater specifically.
0: Yes, that's true. And attends the theater, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: and may be involved in in, uh, in, in your know, in community theater, which uh, you know a lot of people I and you took part in uh, the. There's a huge spread of community theaters across America. I mean, it's just it's in the hundreds, maybe a couple of thousand. I mean, it, it, it's just a really it's it, people love to do it and uh, love mm-hmm. to act, they love to take part and all this kind of thing. So. And the journal
1: is also read by a lot of people who don't live in New York. So was was part of your awareness when you were writing these reviews that that might be your audience's only interaction with that piece of theater?
0: Yes, I suppose so. I suppose so. Uh, I, I think really, I tried to be as universal as I could, but it was also always my, my point of view. I mean, I made it very clear that other people might disagree with some, but, but I I was pretty I, I was pretty confident, confident of, <laughs> say pretty uh, of my ideas about I mean I knew that somebody might disagree with them say, and for various reasons but uh, and I would make it clear that this was my point of view and maybe other mm-hmm. people might have a different point of view but I I took a very usually took a very strong stand. And but your
1: your tastes are pretty Catholic. I mean, it's not like you were pushing a particular line of what you thought oh, this no, is no, what no, a play should no. be. I
0: mean, I, I enjoyed everything. I yeah. mean, I, I enjoyed comedies. I enjoyed tragedies. I enjoyed serious plays. I enjoyed musicals. I enjoyed reviews. I enjoyed everything.
1: And there are several moments where, you know, you see an early play by somebody who we now recognize as a kind of classic talent. Yeah, that's and always,
0: you... That's always a pleasure. That's always yeah. a joy to, quote, discover somebody. Uh-huh as it were, along with other people, but to find a new talent, and uh, uh, anyway, very very much, very rewarding to do that.
1: Yeah, you read about August Wilson that way, seeing his early plays and just realizing this is a, you know, dramatist on the scale of August Wilson or or somebody like that, or uh, Arthur Miller.
0: With August, I got to know him. I interviewed him several times, and we we really became friends. Uh, He was remarkable, and uh, he was a he was a wonderful person and uh but he just had so much talent mm-hmm. and uh, because and you know he fell into, into some things you probably know this you know he wrote a play for every decade of the 20th century uh, and but he didn't start out to do that he he wrote about three of them before he realized well they i put each one in a different decade mm-hmm. and so then he from then on he steered things toward a an un finished a decade he had not covered but because I mean he was really writing different kinds of plays some much more personal than others some with a small cast some more broader cast I mean he, he wrote uh, he was just enormously talented yeah and he had uh, I tell a, a thing in the in the, in the book he, uh, he had a great great gift for dialogue and for things it was all, almost poetry and uh, he in one of our talks, together, uh, he explained to me what happened after he wrote his first few plays and showed them to a friend. And uh, he was trying to copy things and to make up speeches, dramatic speeches. And this friend said, stop trying to write them out. Listen Mm. to how you think this person would talk and the way the words they would use and so forth. And he started doing that. And from then on, his, his dialogue was magical.
1: Yeah. One of the best ears for dialogue of any playwright. Yes,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: And you mentioned the kind of ritualistic element of no theater. That's that's an element of in his work as well, especially the later plays like Gem of the Ocean. There's a real yes, ceremonial absolutely. aspect.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
1: What were some other of your sort of uh, discoveries when you were a critic where you saw somebody and you said, this person is really one of the great talents?
0: Well, it was just so obvious. I mean, it was a pretty, if you, if you saw... Uh, uh, the, uh, you know, if you saw somebody in Member of the Wedding and uh, Julie Harris in Member of the Wedding, and I mean, God, you just, and with Ethel Waters, I mean, you just realized you were watching two, two people who were original and who were uh, remarkable. And uh, it just is because they just, you know, of course, Julie, uh, uh, Julie she, she made, she won more to, uh, awards than anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. she got more Tony Awards than anybody. Because she was versatile, and she was also so full of life and on stage, and and, and, and so full of truth on mm-hmm. stage.
1: Your your tenure as the critic at Wall Street Journal spanned the entire decade of the 1980s, which is sometimes not remembered as a very high point in the history of Broadway. Do you think that assessment is fair?
0: Yes, I do. But and and the one of the salvations of this was that there were some good good reviews. Uh, I mean, reviews, I mean, uh, revivals, I mean, I mean, good revivals of, of very good things of, of all the greats, uh, one way or another would be, would a play would be revived. And uh, so it, it, it added that into the whole mix.
1: My sense is that revivals have become more and more common. And another recent semi-recent trend in Broadway is that there'll be musicals that are based on previously existing properties, you know, TV shows or movies or something. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you feel absolutely. that 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 those are sort of uh, negative trends in Broadway? I,
0: well, I, if, if you don't if you don't call them negative there, there's a lack of imagination and originality mm-hmm. that uh, certainly was much more prominent when I was writing.
1: Yeah. And some of them are good. I mean, some of the adaptations are are, are good, like a uh, waitress, I think, is kind of wonderful, even though that's yeah. based on a movie. No, but,
0: they, 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 they yeah. you know, some of them are absolutely no question about it. Mm-hmm.
1: But there is a sense that people used to be interested in doing more original stories uh,
0: well and you had these powerful writers I mean when yeah. you, you have the people who were writing in the 40s and when you, when you, you have all the people who write streetcar named Desire, and at the same time that uh, death of a salesman I mean you, you just you, you <laughs> and they just keep writing uh, you know it's uh, these this is hard to beat. Uh, and of course, there was, there was also it was interesting during this quote so-called golden age, which I didn't never use that phrase, but people started talking about it when my book came out, um, because you had Neil Simon, who was just a master comedian,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: writing of comic material. I mean, he was nobody's equal to him in terms of turning out comedies, uh, and uh, so you, you know, you it was across the board.
1: Were there any shows that? you really didn't like, but that other critics and audiences seemed to really love?
0: Yeah, I think that probably happened. it, it Maybe not to the great extremes, but yes, there were certain things that others seemed a lot to really uh, cotton to and really uh, uh, respond to that I didn't feel for one reason or another were that genuine or that, that original. Mm-hmm.
1: What about the other way? Were there any shows that you really tried to champion that you didn't feel people understood how great they were?
0: I think so, but I, I couldn't pick one out right now. Yeah. But uh, if I thought something was being, that they, they didn't recognize something in this that they should have or what have you, I, I, I tried to speak out about it.
1: A lot of our audience on this podcast is academics. So you've taught theater for a very long time. Do you have any advice for people who are trying to approach like a theater history class or an introduction to theater class?
0: No, I really don't. I wouldn't presume to do that. Uh, the, 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 the one thing that I <laughs> you've earned is, the
1: right to, if you want to presume to give advice.
0: <laughs> I don't want to presume to. Uh, I, I just think that, that you know they just can't forget it. It is not like a lot of other disciplines in the in that once uh, is involved with in college or high school or college. Uh, it's uh, it, it's like the other like the other performing arts. Uh, it's live and it's, it's, it varies and it's, it's, it's got to be treated as something that is rediscovered every time it's put on stage. And, uh, it's, you know, because the director and the cast is going to be different from the previous one. So they're going to bring different things to it. And you've got to be uh, aware of and ready to absorb that and recognize which things are really done well and which ones don't quite hit the mark.
1: That being said, are there plays that you feel like you enjoy so much as a reader that you keep returning back to them, even if you can't see them live?
0: That's a good question. Uh, I would say not that much because I, <laughs> I keep going to the theater. So right. <laughs> I can't go right now, but I keep uh-huh. going to the theater, and so I see something on stage whenever I can. The live and experience is the really the pandemic. TV.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You also had a television show called Spotlight where you interviewed many prominent uh, theater people. Who were some of your favorite interviewees?
0: Oh, gosh. <laughs> as, as, as I once said, it, I interviewed everybody from George Abbott to Jerry Zach, uh, <laughs> a, a to C. <laughs> I really did interview virtually everybody. I mean, uh, uh, and. Uh, uh, you know, I it, so the, who was writing at all or who was acting? I mean, Colleen Dewhurst, uh, all I mean, just so many people and Hume Cronin and his wife Jessica Tannity. I mean, I, I just c- covered the whole whole s- s- spectrum really in these interviews, which I did for the City University of New York and but which are now on uh, uh what's that channel that shows uh, what's it called? Oh, uh, gosh, I don't know. Well, what, what's the channel on YouTube? YouTube, yes. Yeah. It's on you all the, all, the, all the lectures are on YouTube.
1: I'll have to check those out.
0: Yes. Yeah, so you had a very long
1: association with the city colleges of New York, uh, Hunter oh, and the Graduate well, Center. I taught at
0: Hunter College for about 40 years, and then I taught another 10 or so at, uh, the, at the Graduate Center.
1: Yeah. Now those schools are are suffering some pretty uh, devastating budget cuts, including to their arts departments. Now, but at that time, I mean, they were really uh, a, a center of uh, yes, of ed- were, education in this country. They were, they were you know, thriving. Great. yes. What was it like teaching at those universities?
0: Well, it was fine. I mean, first of all, I loved it, and and also I was teaching people who were you know did not not Ivy League type you know students. I mean, mm-hmm. they were they were people, and they were they were people who lived in, in New York or one of the five boroughs or something. And uh, it was uh, and nearby and uh, New Jersey or whatever. So it was, it was really, it was wonderful. Because I, I was being, talking to people who I thought I could help enlighten maybe and uh, help uh, see things and uh, that, that, that they should see and would feel better about it if they did.
1: And for a lot of that time, tuition at a place like Hunter was free, right?
0: Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely.
1: That just seems like one of the great democratic experiments that our society well, it, it, has ever Hunter undertaken.
0: It was an amazing, amazing school. Yeah. It, it started in the late uh, 19th century and uh, it was free to, and it was all on merit, totally on merit. And it didn't cost a thing for the students who went. And it, it turned out more PhDs than uh, there's only one, the one at Harvard, uh, the, whatever that woman's college is, Radcliffe.
1: Radcliffe, yeah.
0: Uh, it turned out more PhDs than any other, any other place in the United States other than Radcliffe.
1: Wow. And Hunter still is a great institution. Oh, I don't yeah, want to sure. say that. yeah. yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah. Um, did you have any students who went on to become uh, prominent theater people?
0: Oh, good God, yes. John Goyer, all kinds of people.
1: Really? I didn't know that. Yes, yes. they were
0: students of mine.
1: What did you think of his work? I mean, he's an extraordinary playwright.
0: Well, he is an extraordinary playwright. Well, he always had a vivid imagination, and uh, I, we, we, we stayed in touch. I, I, really, we stayed in touch through the years. And he, but, but what I did, I taught him one year. I mean, I taught at the Yale Drama School, and he, uh, he, he really, uh, uh, I let his imagination go. I mean, I said just go for it, you know, <laughs> because he would, he, he would come up with these bizarre ideas, but the. the all of um, the ones that work really worked. And so yeah. now how much longer are we going to go here? Cause I'm, I've got a little, little time problem. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, that's fine. We can, we can wrap up. Um, let me, I, I want to ask you a couple sort of uh, summing up questions though, if that's all right. Yes. So what do you see as being the most important changes in theater over the past, say 50 years?
0: Well, I think, that, I think now I, I don't like the, the idea that first of all, the material is not as good. I mean, there's not as many original writers, and frankly, who are coming up? And then the, in, on the production side of things, you go to the theater now. You see, they they have uh, twenty or twenty-five co-producers. Well, they, they, all they've done is put some money into this thing, and but they wanted their name above the title. So, in in the early day, in the days of great things in the golden quote, golden age, uh, you had some. You had maybe one producer, or maybe two or three together, and that was it. Uh, who picked these things out? Whether it was Williams or I mean. Uh, the people who, do, who, sponsor, who were produced those great shows were, were just a handful in each case—maybe one, two, maybe three, something like that. Never, never some. I mean, Bob Whitehead uh, and produced a, a whole raft of great shows. Uh, how, directed by Harold Claremont. I mean, there was there was just it was just a period when, when the, the creativity and the originality was just rampant. Mm-hmm. And that's not true today.
1: Yeah, it has become much more sort of corporate and, and Disney-fied. Yes, yes,
0: yeah. And, and imitative and so forth. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Edwin, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. I mean, you have a, a, an amazing wealth of experience seeing some of the great shows in American history. So it's great to be well, able to I'm, pick I'm your brain. I'm very
0: lucky. And uh, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you.
1: All right, great. Well, I'll talk to you well, soon.
0: I love the questions and I, I, I love your uh, feedback and so forth. Oh,
1: thank you for thank saying you that. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye.